This is Steve Goodrich, known on the trail as Bird Shooter, and this is N2 Backpacking, a podcast for both hikers and backpackers. Hello, welcome to episode number 23. This is Bird Shooter, and tonight on the show we have Corey Feener, who is also known as Rocket in the trail community. She recently completed a film titled Hard Way Home, which documents her personal journey, both physical and emotional, on the AT in 2012. Uh, Most of you know the AT as a nearly 2,200-mile trail that runs the eastern seaboard of the United States from Georgia to Maine, but tonight Corey is going to talk about the experience of filming a documentary on the AT, um, about the healing power of long-distance hiking, and discuss some of her post-trail experiences at uh, some of the film festivals that she's visited over the last year promoting the movie. So that said, here is Corey. All right, so this is Bird Shooter, and on the podcast tonight we've got Corey a.k.a. Rocket. Corey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bird Shooter. Hey, so while we're on names, I, I think I read somewhere what your, um, how you got your trail name, but you want to just tell the story quickly for the uh, studio audience? Yeah, sounds good. Um, my trail name is Rocket, which I got. I was um, in Georgia at the start of my journey, and I was um, hiking up this really small hill in comparison to what I was about to see. <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, I, I passed this guy and, and got to some water. So I stopped to refill my, my water bottle. And he said, he came up on me like 10 minutes later and he said, wow, he's like, you're so fast. It's like you're there and then you're gone. It's like you have rocket socks. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take rocket and veto the socks. (laughs) Perfect. I I can honestly say no one ever said that to me on the Appalachian Trail, Corey. I promise you. (laughs) We all go at our own pace. <laughs> yeah. So we're here to talk about your um, your movie, Hard Way Home, tonight. But before we get into that, I- I'd love to just get your uh, your tale of your first backpacking trip, where you went, what it was like, who you were with. Can you give us the uh, your first venture into the woods? Oh, wow. Um, I was with my ex-boyfriend. Um, he was the big hiker. I wasn't, I had never done it before. And it was actually up in the white mountains. Um, we had been bagging some peaks for a while, but we wanted to do Mount isolation and it was recommended to possibly stay overnight. Um, and then hike up, uh, for a two day trip. So that was my very first experience. And, and we stayed at kind of lower elevation, so it was nice. Um, there wasn't, you know, it was in the summer, so, um, it wasn't too hot, but it it wasn't too cold either, which it can get (laughs) in some of those higher elevation mountains. Um, and I slept like a baby I found, I really, which kind of ended up happening after that. Every time I've slept in the woods, I've, I've been able to sleep really, really well, which I kind of miss now living in an apartment. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So, so you through hiked in 2012. How many how many hikes did you get? A lot of hikes in before you through hiked. Did you just have a few? Like, how experienced were you when you hit the uh, AT for the first time? Um, I had never done a solo overnight until the summer before in 2011, and and I also only did um, one solo overnight <laughs> before. Um, so I I would say that I was. I was an athlete because um, I went hi- I went hiking a lot and I was doing a lot of tough hikes. I usually picked the toughest route whenever I was going, um, and I was an athlete in college. But I don't think I was really prepared for um, the entire experience as much as I would have liked to think think I was. I thought it, it, I, and you went northbound just like I did. So obviously, when you start, I think you started in March. There's a ton of people going northbound how long was it before you had your first night alone on the at all to yourself it it took a while um probably not until virginia because there were so many people and then i fell in into this group called the wolf pack so 
I always had people around me at night. I mean, I hike a lot by myself, which is what usually happens. Um, but I always had that camaraderie at night at camp and, um, my first night alone in, in, in Virginia, um, it was a little nerve wracking. Um, but I think it was probably the, the worst experience I had alone was in Pennsylvania when, um, I was at again, low elevation, but there was definitely an active bear in the area that did not want me to sleep. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like bears have gotten worse over the years. I mean, we saw a couple when I was through hiking in 94, but uh, I didn't know any stories of really uh, anybody having any issues with bears, but it seems like it's more common now, especially in Georgia, right? Yeah, um, I had some friends, well, I met them later on, but um, when they were passing through Georgia, they had their food get you know, pulled down from a tree. I mean, uh, you know, who knows what it is. It, it could be overdevelopment of land where where bears are being pushed out of, you know, their habitat. Or it could also be, you know, people in different areas that are kind of a little bit more careless with their food and essentially just feeding these animals. I don't know. But it definitely, it's become more common. I mean, I just saw an article the other day on somebody being attacked um I think somewhere near the Mason Dixon line by a bear. Maybe it was New Jersey. Yeah, I saw that as well, actually. You know, it could just be maybe the the climate's warmer now, so they're, you mm-hmm. know, the bears are able to survive easier, you know? Right. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, not to take away from your movie, because I know you worked very hard on this production. <laughs> I, I read that you shot 700 hours of film. Do I have that correctly? Yeah. <laughs> Yep, that's correct. <laughs> so, so I mean, I am amazed because I can't imagine what it's like to try to go through 700 hours of film and try to find I, – I, would you condense your, your movies a little over an hour, right? Uh, it's 87 minutes. Yeah, so that must be an incredibly difficult challenge to pick out the the footage you're going to use, right? Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely hard at first because there were so many things. It was really hard to be objective about it, you know, because I lived through every moment – and every moment meant something different to me. But what it came down to when I was putting it together was that I had a story and I had an arc and I needed to be true to that and, and maintain um, the themes and plot points throughout. So at the end of the day, once I, I, my first cut was about like 98 minutes. And then from there, um, it was pretty easy to cut it down to 87. So, so I think that's a good point. You, you are obviously... Um, someone that's got a lot of experience, right? I, do I remember that you've got a master's in film? Is that right? Yeah, I do. <laughs> so you're not someone that just took a video camera out there and put a movie together. I mean, you've got a lot of experience. I know you've been to a couple film festivals just in the last month. Mm-hmm. Do you do you want to talk about that experience and um, where you've been and sort of the the vibe of the events and um, kind of what happens at those film festivals and then also sort of how your movie um you know, was a part of that or was, you know, viewed and feedback and that sort of thing? Yeah, well, um, I actually, I did this film as a part of my graduate thesis at Emerson College. So um, this film was my completion of my MFA. Um, and I and I had worked primarily as a cinematographer before that. Um, but in recent years, I had kind of gotten into documentary a little bit more, um, creating some short works and, and some other things. So I'd, I'd had a really good background um, before I decided to make the film and, um, you know, have since have had the pleasure of, of working with a lot of um, kind of well-knowns within the, the doc community. Um, and and it's, been, it's been a good experience for sure. Um, and then the film festival circuit is like a whole different animal unto itself. I think you could probably classify it somewhere um, close to a black bear. <laughs> okay. It's like, it's very, you know, um, it's awesome and it's exciting to see. Um, but I think especially after uh, completing living in the woods for six months, the crowds get a little crazy. There's so many people. Um and and I think it's good and it's a good experience because it gets the film out there and that's what's really important. But um, sometimes getting up in front of those audiences, uh, I get a little nervous. <laughs> I can imagine. So let me ask you, though, because um, I read that you did Trail Days, of course, for a presentation there. You did the Ch- Chattanooga Film Festival and then you also did the Awareness Festival, which that was in Santa Monica, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those must be three entirely different audiences with different expectations, and it must be a different, completely different experience at each one. Can you kind of 
walk the uh, listeners through like what each event's like and and how your film was um, a part of that? Yeah, um, Trail Days was really great because that's kind of my core audience for sure are hikers and backpackers, and to be able to screen there um, was a really worthwhile experience for me because I hadn't been screening to hikers primarily for a while um, since it's made since it made its world premiere at the Virginia Film Festival last November, and and so to kind of show other hikers what I've been working on was really rewarding and to also see that they enjoyed it, like that they wholeheartedly got what they needed to out of the story. Um, and then Chattanooga was just amazing. It, it was film enthusiasts, basically. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's a really great community down there and they were so excited to bring the film there. And, and it was really cool because they only brought in a few films. Um, everything else was curated. So to be selected was, was really exciting. And to have that amount of enthusiasm from, you know, people that probably had never set foot on a trail in their life, but just loved good storytelling. I mean, that, that was, that was amazing. And then awareness in and of itself is a really interesting festival because, um, they aim at trying to promote film and events that heal people in different ways and that are focused on um, sustainability of not only earth and the environment, but also people. Um, so screening there, there was a different kind of crowd and it was much more intimate, which was nice um, because, you know, I could answer all the questions that were asked and, and I felt really connected with my audience. And you just got back, I think it was last night, right, from another trip uh, to another film festival? Yeah, I was up at the Camden International Film Festival with um, this collaborative that I'm a part of called the Nonfiction Cartel in Boston. And we focus on short-form documentary and, and promoting um, that kind of filmmaking. And, and we we presented an award at the end of the festival to um, one of, you know, and kind of a deserving short and then I got to moderate the shorts program which was really cool so it was a good experience and it was nice because it's right in the middle of you know the leaf season so I got to see a lot of color up there yeah that's awesome so is the I mean I gotta believe the trail today's audience is probably the most fun right um is that true or is that not necessarily the case um I it was I don't know I, it's hard to say I know that it was really cool to be standing around the corner at the auditorium and have people like sitting on the floor because there wasn't enough seats like that. I think that was probably the coolest thing about that. And to feel the enthusiasm from, from that room, like, and also to hear the different kind of responses to the points in the film. Like you have a lot of, um, you know, size and, and kind of agreeances within people's, voices when when they see something that they recognize or um they felt that moment that I'm portraying you know and that and and that was really probably why it was so rewarding because everyone most everyone in that room had gone through some form of what I was going through sure and so in each case do you have like a Q&A session at the end of these uh at the end of the showings or how, how does that typically work or does it really just depend on the venue? Um, so far every film festival has been Q and a at the end, um, which has been great. And there's always uh, different kinds of answers. I usually get a lot of the same, like how much did your pack weigh, um, you know, or, or what footwear did you end up wearing or how are your feet now actually is usually the most common question <laughs> right, right. that I get. But, um, but yeah, what was the toughest question that you've ever been been thrown in one of these uh, Q and A sessions oh. at one of the festivals? <laughs> um, well, down in Chattanooga, um, they they asked about um, my my past relationship, and and um, it's kind of a an important part of the film. And they they asked if if he had seen the film. Um, after the fact, and of course I don't know, um, but you know it was 
they had kind of prefaced the screening with with the reveal of the film, which happens halfway through. And so it was an interesting interaction at that Q&A because everyone seemed to be more fully aware of what the film was really about, um, which is, is different than a lot of other experiences where maybe they're looking at it more as a, a hiking journey as opposed to a journey about um, overcoming a bad past. So we'll leave the uh, listeners hanging, Corey, and make them make them reach out and watch your film and not spoil the uh, the uh, moment in the film. There, I like that. Um, <laughs> you like that? Tease them a little bit. And what what about the funniest question you ever had at a film festival? Oh, um, funniest. I don't know about that, but I did get asked if I had read Wild by Cheryl Strayad. I can see why. <laughs> I can definitely see. You know, I think you and I talked before the uh, before the interview that I definitely saw some similarities there. Like the feet is a great example, right? You both both of you had a terrible time with your feet. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and I I think there's a lot of similar elements, but I mean, kind of that question ended up branching off into, so are you going to do the PCT next? <laughs> Which is great. I'd love, to, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to get back and do a long distance trail, but I have so many other projects that I want to work on um, that I don't, I think it might take a few more years before I end up doing something like that again. Sure. So, um, so, so basically the film is, is titled hard way home. Cause it's the tough way for you to hike home. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm assuming, but most people immediately make that connection. Did I make it correctly? Yeah. I mean, it works on a few different levels. It's definitely, I'm literally walking home, you know, because I live in Massachusetts, so I'm walking from Georgia up. But it's also, I mean, home to to me in the film and, and in general has become not really necessarily a central location, like where I live in Massachusetts, but really a state of mind that I think um, was something that I learned along the way. I mean, home is, is being good with yourself and being happy with yourself and the journey to oneself as opposed to one singular place and material possessions. I like that. I like that. You can definitely tell that you have film skills and that you just didn't, you just didn't take a camera out on the, uh, <laughs> on the AT and start filming. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can definitely tell. So, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of hiking videos out there. I think you were actually interviewed by Squatch and his flip-flop flipping in the 2012 uh, film he was doing on the AT. But were there any um, hiking videos that kind of inspired you before you started to tackle this one? Um, not really. I, I did I did a bit of research um, and just to see what else was out there for trail documentaries because I wanted to um, – make sure that I wasn't making a movie that somebody else had already made. Um, but I really focused more on personal documentaries um, as a form of inspiration. Um, Ross McAwee's Sherman's March um, was a huge um, kind of guide for me in making this film. Um, and, and Ross has, has been an incredible inspiration and mentor since then. Um, and then I also, there was a film that, that came out the same year, um, that I caught at the tail end of my edit called Maiden Trip, which was really good about a young girl who was the youngest to um, sail around the world by herself. So I think there was, you know, there were there were other documentaries that I looked to for inspiration and in, in putting this together. Sure. I, I got to say, I actually enjoyed the uh, short footage of um, the interview with you in your own movie that Squatch was doing. Have you seen Flip Flop Flippin' and... Um, how do you compare, like, how are the two, because I haven't seen it yet, how the, how are the two similar and completely different? Yeah, I've seen it, um, and and I, I didn't make the cut, which is totally fine. <laughs> it's so awesome that he was able to share that footage with me, because it re really works well for my film. And a lot of my friends were in his film, which was really awesome. Um, and I think he did a really good job in capturing the characters on the trail. There's so many different kinds of people that hike the trail and it's interesting I've always looked at the trail since doing it as a complete equalizer because it really doesn't matter who you are or where you came from or you know your socioeconomic status or your religion or whatever people just connect on the fact that they're doing that and um, you know you forget that these people are characters un into themselves and Squatch really captures that really well um, and I think 
you know, the main difference between my film and his film is that I have a I have a clear central arc and story that I was trying to tell from start to finish. And, um, you know, his is more of a character study. Yeah, right now, did you guys meet just on sure, pure chance, or did you kind of coordinate that? Uh, the interview, it looked like it was in Virginia, right? Yeah, it was at Woods Hole Hostel, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, and no, it was it was pure chance. Um, he showed up there and informed everyone that he was looking for the wolf pack, and I'm like, well, I am a member of that. <laughs> so um, we started talking, and... and he did a little interview and, and was kind enough to pass it along after our hikes were done. Right. And we've got to talk about the wolf cat pack because <laughs> they were very, very well known on the trail that year. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I've got a bunch of questions for you on that coming up, but um, let, let me ask you first because uh, so I, I've written a guidebook myself and I am well aware of, you know, how the money kind of works in these things. And most people that do these videos and books, I mean, they do it as a labor of love and not as something that they get very rich off of. Mm -hmm. But um, I noticed that you have distribution through um, a couple different channels. Do you want to talk about that so some of the listeners can find your uh, movie? Yeah. Um, the film right now is available to rent through Vimeo On Demand. Um, so if you just Google the film or go to hardwayhomefilm.com, I have links from there. Um, to where you can rent it. And the rental period is for 72 hours, which is nice um, so that if you, you know, want to start it and don't have time to finish it that day, you can finish it the next day. Um, and it's still playing in festivals. It's playing in Maryland um, this Thursday, actually, in Cumberland. And then it's playing in Maine and South Portland next week. And at the end of the month, again, in Maryland, um, in Greenbelt, and then out in Oregon um, in November. So there's still a few more screenings, and I'm working on some college screenings um, <clears throat> for the end of the, the fall and, and, and the springtime. So now, how, just out of curiosity, how does that work? Is, I mean, is there any revenue sharing in that at all, or is it pretty much, pretty much they show your film just uh, to get the word out? Uh, with festivals? Well, yeah, that and if... Uh, a local community would say show your film um yeah festivals the filmmaker doesn't make any money off festivals at all um it's really a, a venue and an outlet to just screen your work and get it shown um and there's also i mean really what the filmmaker can get out of it is gaining audience and also uh, the possibility of accolades if they win any awards um <clears throat> You know, and then some of the bigger festivals, oftentimes distributors will go there um, looking for content that they want to distribute. So it's really, it's it's kind of a part that you budget into making your film, um, the tail end of everything, which is festival runs. So. so, I mean, and having published a guidebook and knowing how um, difficult it is to make a living <laughs> off of something like that, I mean... It sounds like to, to really make a go at being a film producer, at least in the hiking world, um, it's probably pretty tough, right? Yeah. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, I mean, you really don't make much money off being a documentary filmmaker. <laughs> it's, it's um, you know, and that's why, uh, one of, well, one of the reasons why I teach full time, um, you know, because it's just you're you're doing it because you feel like there are important stories to tell. Um, and 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 you want to tell them and, and you want to reach the world and, and touch the world in various ways. And I think that, you know, it comes down to the same thing if you're interested in, in writing about hiking. Um, you might be able to make back maybe a tiny bit of what you've put into it. Um, but, I mean, you're certainly not going to be able to make a living off of it. Yeah, and obviously most people that do these things do it for the love, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But um, but I I will say I really enjoyed your promo for the video that you had on on your website. I love the fourteen states. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean maybe you could describe that for those who haven't seen it. Oh yeah, well um I I vlog for Appalachian Trials um the you know the the website from Zach Davis. He wrote a really great book that actually was a huge part of making my through hike successful. Um, and so I oftentimes will put out very dry humor <laughs> um, videos about through hiking the AT 
Um, and, and so the last one that I put out was explaining the 14 states in the trail in one sentence or less, but I ended up doing them almost all in one word or less. And my aim was to do it in one minute or less which I also failed at. <laughs> you, you were pretty close, though. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was close. I had my, my little intro, and then I went for it. But, but yeah, and, and I felt bad. I, I totally blanked when I got to Connecticut. I really, I, I was like, well, it, I was there, and then I was gone. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I will say it was both entertaining and accurate. Yeah. So, uh, so hopefully you've had some good feedback on it because I thought it was pretty solid. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm glad. I, I do it. I do it for everyone to to enjoy. So uh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the AT for a minute, and I won't uh, harp on the AT too long because we've done plenty of podcasts on the AT. But one one of the questions I love to ask people that have through hiked it is just um, how was it exactly like you expected it to be, and how was it completely different? Yeah. Um, it was as rewarding as I expected it to be um, in terms of the experience, the vistas, the beauty, um, and even some of the hardships. But what I what I didn't expect was to come out feeling more of a need to connect with people based on my interactions that I had on the trail. I really was gung-ho on being alone and um, using that time to work things out in my head. And by the end, I realized that I enjoyed being around people more than I had anticipated. And, and if it weren't for the trail, I wouldn't have realized that. I would have really, like pushed forward thinking that it was me against the world, which I think happens to all of us at certain points in our life. And, and the trail taught me a little bit more about camaraderie than I had expected. Yeah. And I would agree with you. I think if I went southbound, I would have never made it because if, if it hadn't have been for the people I were hiking with, I probably would have lost enthusiasm. Yeah. So I would agree with that statement. How, how was it totally, totally different than you thought it would be in terms of um, um, just the challenge of it or the maybe the humidity or did anything just completely surprise you um i i really thought that i was physically ready and so i was really surprised when i had as many foot problems as i did um i didn't anticipate that it didn't it didn't dawn on me that what i was using as my mode of transportation might break down <laughs> Um, and the trail, it, it just eats you up, you know, it's just, it's just what it does. And I think I, I wasn't expecting that at all. Fortunately for you, your mother's a nurse, right? Do I have that correct? <laughs> yep. Yep. So, so, I mean, you couldn't have been in better hands, uh, if, if I remember from the movie. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. When I ended up having to go home, yeah, she, uh, she took care of me and, 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 you know, the relationship with my mom is, is a good um, part of the film as well. It's a subplot that kind of weaves throughout, and I'm lucky. I'm very lucky. Yeah, I noticed you kicked the movie off with that, and that was actually something I planned to bring up later. Let me let me ask about your dad, though, quickly, because one of the things your dad said <laughs> was to be, be selfish, right? Life is short. Go for it. You know, um, I, I love that moment in the film because I think they're – there are actually some truths to that. Do you think that maybe sometimes we're not selfish enough in life and that we, um, we do so many things for other people that we don't follow our own dreams? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think there's a fine line to that. Um, you know, I think, I think there, there are people sometimes that are slightly too selfish and, and I know I've, I've done that before too, but I think that there is, there's a selfishness that we all need to embrace and that's doing what's right for ourselves. And I think that sometimes we get so focused on, um, you know, whether it be material things or other people that we don't pay attention to what we need and what's going to help move us forward. And so I think he's definitely right in terms of that. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with you. It's a balancing act, right? Yeah. You know, there's, there's a, there's a middle line that's the right way. Right. But, but so the Appalachian trail in 2012, was the year, and I can't recall if it happened last year in 2013 or, or even this past year, but the um, norovirus was raging when you were hiking, right? 
Um, yeah, I seemed to miss it every time. Thank goodness. It was like I I went through Tennessee and then I found out it was in Tennessee. Um, and then again in Maine and I missed it in Maine. So I was really lucky. Um, and I can't remember if I had any friends that I met on the trail that got it. I mean, I know for sure a lot of people I met on the trail ended up getting Lyme's disease, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, the norovirus seemed to be pretty bad. And I think it was even worse, um, maybe last year. Yeah, maybe it was last year cause it was following the through hiker pack North and then it started to hitch a ride south on the southbounders, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it was worse last year, yeah. Which is, uh, it's caused by rodents and shelters? Is that the is that the correct understanding? I don't know. Um, I didn't really look into it too much because it didn't really affect me. Um, but, I mean, you know, it's not surprising. I think when you have that many people and you're out and, and I mean, you're as clean as you can possibly be, but... You know, you can't really stop everything at that point. Yeah, I got hit around Peaks of Otter with just, you know, I don't know what it was. It was some kind of stomach issue. And I could got to tell you, there's nothing more miserable than being in a tent and feeling that bad, you know. Yeah. In the in the heat, right? Oh, it's even worse. <laughs> uh, it was. I ended up bailing and getting off at Peaks of Otter. But, um, so an, another question I had for you was, um, was, was just about, I mean, and I know what it's like, right? You hit Virginia, it gets really hot, you know, the, the honeymoon's over, you realize how incredibly far it is to Maine. What, was there a low point for you during your hike? And if so, did it did, did it hit you in Virginia like it hits a lot of people, or did it hit you later, or can you describe that? Yeah, I thought it hit me in Virginia um, because I I ended up going into a, a B&B, and I read Zach's book, and it kind of, you know, I thought I was having the Virginia blues, and, and then I got to Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> snakes, snakes, rocks. Yeah, and the heat index was 110 degrees, and, like, you couldn't get away from it because all the elevation was low, and I was alone, and it was just, that was my low point, by far my lowest of lows. And I ended up calling Casanova, actually, to just see where he was and how he was doing because I felt like I needed to talk to somebody <laughs> because I was just tired of dealing with the rocks and everything else by myself because um, I had nobody to to complain <laughs> to about it. And that's, sometimes that was like the best thing when you were ending up with people at the end of the night was just complaining about your aches and ailments and it just made it so much better because they understood yeah, when it's when it's raining and you're cold and wet and you're with somebody, for some reason it's a lot better than being alone, you know. Oh, absolutely. Or hot or humid or what have you. Mm -hmm. But um, and in all fairness to Pennsylvania, because I think Pennsylvania gets a bad rap. They have they have a lot of great swimming pools mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania, and they also have a lot of great hostels in Pennsylvania. Oh yeah, Pennsylvania was great, and I would love to go back and do Pennsylvania again when I don't have then, you know, a whole northern section or a whole southern section to do. <laughs> right, right. So so you brought up Casanova's name, so and I have to ask, right? So I, I know there was a trail romance, you talk about it in the uh in the movie, but you guys split up I would say at some point in Virginia. Did you guys didn't see each other from that point on again? Yeah, no. Um I went I went back, um I was in Virginia ahead of him, and I went back for trail days, and that was the last time I saw him was at trail days, so um, we spent some time together then, and, um, you know, it was just, he, he started the trail with uh, Spam, who um, was in the Wolf Pack, and, the, you know, those two, they were good buddies, and he wanted to stay with him and um, finish the trail with him, so um, I had a deadline, I had, I had school that I had to get back to, so we just kind of parted ways. Right, right, and you talk about that in the film, mm -hmm. and so you, you met someone else, though, that you ended up hiking with quite a bit that was on a similar schedule, right? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, Skinny Rambo. He was also actually a part of the Wolf Pack. Um, at, at the time the Wolf Pack was together, though, his name was Star, um, but he... He was he was really great because him and I we kind of got distracted a lot. 
<laughs> we we could put in some really big miles and then we'd get distracted by the most random thing and have a laugh at it. So it was it was really at, at that point um, when I felt like I was kind of being pushed to finish quickly. It, it was the best uh, friendship I could have on the trail because we we got along really well and we kind of understood each other's goals and, and at the same time could could have a light time about it. Yeah, so speaking of distractions, one of the things I noted and remember from the movie is that you went canoeing down the Shenandoah. <laughs> you, you want to talk about that? It seemed like it was a multi-day trip, right? Uh, no. <laughs> it was it, it one day. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Because, because we capsized. <laughs> mm. And it was, you know, we thought that the river would be quicker than the trail because Steph's had to catch up to her friends and you know I still had this impending deadline which by the way if I can offer any advice to anyone it's do not do the trail when you have a deadline because it just it it forces you to make decisions that you know can take away from the experience so but anyway we decided to um raft up the river and and it literally probably lasted five hours before the canoe tipped over and, and getting things wet in a river is really different than having rain pound down on you all day. Yeah. It's called saturation. Right? <laughs> That's the word for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So, um, so, so you mentioned the wolf pack. Let's get back to the wolf pack because I mean, I, know you and sought you out because of the wolf pack you know some of the same people i do mm-hmm. um you cook you kick off the movie essentially with your mom who's got a lot of concerns about you hiking solo on the trail yeah um and i, I think she specifically says i'm not going to forgive you if something happens <laughs> that had to put a lot of pressure on you right <laughs> oh you have no idea <laughs> yeah it was really you know I knew that this is something that I needed to do and, and I needed, I needed to do this for me. And, and it was exactly like what my dad ended up saying later. Like it was, it was a selfish decision, but it was definitely the right selfish decision. And, and, you know, she, she was worried as any mother would be. And I, and I certainly don't fault her for that. And I think, you know, once, once I got on the trail, she realized it wasn't as scary as she thought it was going to be for her to see me do that. So she most certainly would have been relieved to find out that you met a group of guys and girls called the Wolf Pack that you were hiking with them. But um, did did she envision the Wolf Pack being what the Wolf Pack was? <laughs> um, no, I mean, and you know, I in terms of like contact with her when that was happening. I mean, I really. I had a spot GPS and so I would always check in um every night when I set up camp and that was that was my my deal with her it was every night I would do that um I didn't even want to be carrying the spot but I did that out of consideration for my family and um and you know I I I let her know um that I had met a bunch of people that I was hiking with and that that definitely seemed to make her feel a little bit better um and I think, though, by the point that I split up with them and, and kind of went my own way, she she felt a little bit more confident in my ability to be out there by myself. Yeah, and so if I remember, you first met the Wolf Pack right after Wyabald. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and that, that was not – I mean, it wasn't necessarily because the Wolf Pack was congregated there, but because a trail angel had set up a – a feeding station, right? Yeah, possum and grits um, were their names, and and I it was my first day, no, my second day back after being off for a few days because of my feet once again, and uh, it was really kind of a welcome sight to see all these hikers hanging out by a tent and playing music, and um, I, I'm really glad I decided to stay that night because I was going to push on, but. Um, I decided to stay and ended up with a family. <laughs> yeah, and what a fun family they were. I first met that family in at Whitley Gaff Shelter in Georgia <laughs> because I, a friend of mine was hiking with the Wolf Pack and was w- one of the original members. Uh-huh. Um, and I think I was on top of um, a ridge when 30 Pack <laughs> laid, laid out what had to be one of the first howls of the Wolf Pack. Yeah. So, um, That's cool. 
Did you ever find yourself howling? That's the question. Oh my god, yeah. Are you kidding? We howled <laughs> all the time. We we annoyed people with with the amount we howled, but it was it was so amazing to know that if you were feeling low and you were hiking by yourself and you let out a howl and somebody responded, that somebody was near you, that somebody that you knew that cared was near you and that they were going through the exact same thing you were. And it was really refreshing to be able to do that and, and, and hear a response and know, okay, I can do this. I just have a few more miles. It'll be great. And then I'll get to see my friends and sit by a campfire and it'll all be worth it. How, how are your skills at howling? (laughs) Mine always sounded like a cross between a witch <laughs> and I don't know, like some high pitched squeal. It was it was definitely my howl. I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> can you uh, can you tell us who the best howler was in the Wolfpack? Ooh, oh that's hard. It's been two years since I heard their howls. I think what I liked most, I'll say, is the collective howl. When we'd all meet up or somebody would appear and everyone would howl at once. And that was probably the best howl of them all when it was just everybody. The community howl. Mm-hmm. That's when you know the pack's together. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. And you, you, of course, know that I interviewed 30 Pack a few episodes back. Yeah. And, uh, he, he told some great stories from those moments. So uh, if, if the listeners haven't heard those interviews, I, I suggest they go check them out because he tells, he tells some good tales. I suggest as well. 30 Pack yeah. is a lovely, lovely man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we talked earlier about um, your feet and how you had similar experiences to Cheryl Strayed, and I made that connection myself. Um, Are you looking forward to the movie, Wild? Yeah, I am. Um, I think that it'll be interesting to see how Hollywood takes this on. Um, You know, it's it's a a twofold thing, staying true to the book um, and also staying true to what it is to hike, and I think sometimes that's hard Um, And I know, um, you know, sometimes Hollywood does certain things because they have a budget or whatever. Or, you know, when you make a movie, your focus is and always should be on the emotion behind it. So some details sometimes get lost. And but your the hiking community is really particular (laughs) and 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 they want those details paid attention to. So I think it'll be interesting to see how well they pay attention to those details and also how true they are to the story. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll probably be seeing it the night it opens. Yeah. So you, I'm sure you read the book, right? Did you read the book wild? Um, I, I don't know when that came out. Did it come out before you through hiked? Uh, no, I think, I think it came out while I was through hiking. And um, when I got back, I actually um, ran into somebody from high school that hiked the PCT the same year I was on the AT and, and he mentioned the book. Um, and so I picked it up and I was instantly captivated. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know, my film was focused so much on my personal journey and not really about the trail that I felt connected to her. And, and a lot of the issues she was dealing with in, in certain ways, I, I could feel that I, I had felt that. And, and so um, the book uh, has definitely been a, a staple on my mantelpiece. Yeah, and I think that's a good point because the other big movie that's about to come out is Walk in the Woods, which also based on a book by Bill Bryson. Did did you read that as well? I did, yeah. Um, and I read it so long ago that it's that it's hard for me to remember a lot of the details. But I think um, maybe it was the female voice in, in Wild that really kind of got my attention more than A Walk in the Woods did. Yeah, I, I could understand that because Walk in the Woods uh, – Basically a comedy, not really meant to be a, as much of a personal journey, right? Yeah. But just a sarcastic look at America. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but anyway, so back to your hike. Your mom comes to accept your will, your determination. You know, you're pushing forward on the AT. Um, can can you talk a little bit about when you were filming? You know what what it was like trying to carry all that camera equipment. Can you just tell us about what it takes to make a film like this? Well, I had about eight pounds in gear, um, and 
at the start, I had three GoPros and I ended up sending one home because I realized I, I would film sometimes with two simultaneously, but I wasn't filming with more than that. Um, and it was definitely it, it added a very different experience because I was always cognizant of the fact that I was shooting a documentary and I didn't always mention it to people that I met. Um, but I would always think about the moment. So I would be experiencing the moment and then I would step out of the moment to think about it and think about if it was something I wanted to film that I thought it was relevant to my story. And then I'd either film or I'd go back to that moment. And so it was a really kind of different way to hike the trail. I mean, it wasn't just gear that I was carrying. It was also this like weight of this responsibility that people were expecting <laughs> when I was done. Um, and, you know, and I had done a Kickstarter before I left. So I also had that added element of I have funders and I have backers and you know if I don't do this <laughs> they're going to be disappointed so so I can appreciate that there's times where people just don't want to be filmed right I've, I've asked a number of people to do podcasts and the reality is some people just don't want to be on the public record right um mm -hmm. was, was that I mean how did you manage around that I'm sure that happened at times but um I'm just kind of curious to get your take on how long it took for people to get comfortable with the camera and if some people just refused the whole time. Yeah, I was really selective with who I filmed um, because I knew that it was really a story about me and what I was going through, that whoever I was filming had to be relevant to that. So I never had an issue filming anybody. I never asked anyone that said no because by the time I asked them, they usually had, had at least known me for a little bit. Um, but it's still, I mean, at first, especially with the wolf pack, at first it was a little awkward just filming them. But then they just kind of realized, it, it was like an appendage, you know. It just kind of, <laughs> it grew on to me and everyone pretty much expected the camera to be there when I was there. Um, and, and everyone got really comfortable. And, and people got pretty candid, too, at different moments about about what they were feeling or what was going on. That's like filming a reality TV show. <laughs> Is that fair to say? What, the wolf pack? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it had its moments. <laughs> and I was I was sure not to put anything too detrimental within the film. <laughs> I clearly need to drink more beers with the wolf pack and get more inside scoop. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think we should just have one big reunion. That should that should be the, the plan. Make sure you invite me. I will. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, speaking of the wolf pack, we've got Spam, who well, – why don't you tell the uh, the listeners here how he got his name? Because I, I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Well, he carried Spam with him on the trail, and I don't know this, the specifics as to how, how – like who named him or what the circumstance was, but – um, I met him that first night um, at, you know, where the trail magic was, and um, he he was cooking, and um, and he gave his <laughs> he gave his his pot over to Casanova to cook, and so Casanova decided he was going to cook some some spam, but but do it <laughs> very gourmet. So he added cinnamon chipotle <laughs> to the spam, and that was that was my first introduction into. Spam the food and spam the individual. Why would you not add chip chipotle? That seems like a natural addition to spam. You know, I mean, it's fun. I'm vegan now, so I am very happy to say I will never try spam again. <laughs> but at the time, under the circumstances, it was amazing. <laughs> so there was a WTF moment in your film where spam puts together, and correct me if I'm wrong, Oreo bacon and cheese oh yeah um and you and you said it was good do i have that right yeah i i did say it was good and it was good it was we were staying at a cabin at the knock and we had a kitchen which for through hikers is like never a good idea <laughs> and and some he came up with the idea of taking an oreo and putting cheese on one side and pepperoni on another side and then wrapping it in bacon and throwing it in the oven. And it was the most fatty, salty, sweet thing ever. And it was amazing. 
and I probably lost like five years off my life just reading it. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I'm guessing that you have not had that since your hike. Is that correct? No, but Oreos are vegan. So <laughs> every once in a while I have an Oreo. <laughs> there you go. Just not with the bacon and the cheese, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> and, and the spam. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so I guess Zip, Scott, mm-hmm. who, who we know from the Wolfpack, had a huge July 4th fest. And I, I saw some of that video in your movie, I believe, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that time? Because that looked like it was a great time. And I think Squatch filmed some of that, right? He did, yeah. It's in his film as well. Um, it was amazing. You know, we had gotten all separated at that point. And for everybody, almost everybody, to come together and and just be in that space, it was like a mini vacation. Um, and... And, you know, we did what we did what the wolf pack does. We we hung out and we talked and we swam and we drank and played games. And it was it was amazing. And, um, you know, and played music and and it was good. It was it was the perfect way to spend the Fourth of July on the trail. It looked like a really good time. I was envious when I saw the video, to be honest. Yeah. And, and I almost died. But, you know, we'll we'll let the viewers watch the film and see how that happened you know i've seen the film and i think i don't want to give it i think i don't want to give it away but i think i know what you're talking about yeah it it doesn't have anything to do with um pyrotechnics does it oh absolutely so i I just gave it away (laughs) no that's okay okay well they still have to watch to see what happens Mm -hmm. perfect so um let's get back to the at for a few seconds and then i'll ask you some closing questions if that works for you sounds good so I love to ask a few AT questions just about your favorites for anybody that aspires to or has hiked the Appalachian Trail. Mm-hmm. What about your What about your most favorite hostel on your hike? Oh, I I had really good experiences throughout, but I think Woods Hole by far was the best experience because there was just like this wide array of organic food that just tasted so amazingly fresh. And, you know, I got there pretty early and I just relaxed in the hammock and there was this whole sense of community there that I had been missing since I had left the wolf pack. I mean, before dinner we formed this huge circle and, and everyone said what they were thankful for and to stop and think about that for a little bit was really kind of needed at that moment um and I just felt this really good sense of community and and you know every other hostel I went to I was there with other hikers but you didn't actually stop and think about that moment and Woods Hole made you think about that moment and I'm grateful for that so that is if it's the Woods Hole that I remember it's south of Parisburg yep right Mm mm-hmm and I think the lady that actually used to own it was from Atlanta or the Atlanta area. And she has since passed, I believe, right? Yeah. And I, I think it might be her daughter or maybe her granddaughter that runs it now, Neville, and her husband, Michael. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I think the lady's name was actually Tilly. I stayed there, and she was an amazing cook, you know, a, a southern cook that mm-hmm. just could make amazing food. Yeah. Um and, and not all of the hikers that stayed there got breakfast, only ate because she, you know, didn't have the ability to feed anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was, at the time, was very lucky to uh, be one of the eight. Yeah, well, I mean, it's one of the more expensive hostels, but I think it's worth it. Like, it was definitely, because you, you, you paid for every meal and, um, and everything else, but what you got out of it was so much more. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. So, um you inevitably had some days where the weather was terrible. Hmm. So, Corey, I got to ask you, the whole time you were out there, the day you were the most miserable weather-wise. In Vermont on about the sixth day of rain. <laughs> you, you were pretty quick on that one. You didn't think twice. No, I, I know. I mean, I've never felt such pain in my life. I, I know that moment. <laughs> um, and and I was miserable. And I actually went back there this summer to hike. Um, and I hiked through that spot that I, I ended up, you know, having to turn back on. And, and to hike through it was was really rewarding but yeah no I've 
I've never felt such pain as I felt um, in Vermont and, and what the mud did to my feet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very muddy, mm-hmm. especially what, like, you know, if, if you're kind of mid season, right smack in the middle of the summer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, how about your most memorable moment? The, the, the one time on the AT that you'll remember forever. It's, it's still, it's hitting Katahdin. I mean, I, climbing up, um, I, oftentimes on some big climbs, I would listen to music on my, my iPhone, um, and I really, like, was so conscious of everything around me. I didn't, you know, I didn't have any music on, I didn't, I wasn't using anything extra, um, to try to motivate me through. I was just kind of so present and when I got to the top I didn't expect to be as emotional as I was and um I just I I remember getting close to that time like it was yesterday I can relive that visually in my head um every day and and it was just a culmination of so much hard work and and um so much work on myself that that it was really the best moment for me so, so those that are inspired by your journey, they watch your film, they hear this podcast, they want to do the trail. You got, you have any advice for them? Do it. <laughs> don't, don't say you want to do it and wish you want to do it, and don't live vicariously about doing it. Just do it. I mean, you know, we we often so focus on the things that we want to do that we never end up getting there. And I think the best thing you can do is take a chance and 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 go after something that you really want. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there's never a perfect time, right? To get six months off is not easy. No, it's not. I mean, you have to want it enough. That's pretty much what it comes down to. You pretty much have to make it happen, right? Yep. Yeah. So so you mentioned in, in your uh, one of your videos that you plan to do the long trail. You've already hiked half of it. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something in your foreseeable future? Yeah, I went back this summer, and I went to do it. Um and I had this crazy idea in my head that I was going to do it really fast because, again, I had a short amount of time. Um, and I ended up going over four miles an hour um, on the first day. That's amazing. On the long trail? Yeah, um, at the start. Um, and, you know, of course, I had done all that before, so it, it, you know, it was a little bit easier having known the terrain and everything. But I still... My body wasn't ready for that at all, and I ended up getting sick and dehydrated and, um, you know, getting sick on the trail is not fun. (laughs) So um, knowing that I didn't have to do it, I didn't have to be out there, and that I probably should have prepared a little bit better, I decided not to complete the long trail this summer. But um, I have plans to get out again next summer. It sounds like it's on your target list. Yeah, I I have a hard when I when I set out a goal like that, I have a really hard time um letting it go and I think just what my focus needs to be over the next year is is more training that if I want to do it that quickly, I need to put more time into accomplishing that goal. So, so you um you sound like you're kind of hitting around about the Pacific Crest Trail too. Is that true? <laughs> um yeah, I've thought about it, but I don't know if I want to solo hike that. Um, and and I also, you know, I have a really great job that I love, and um, I have other films that I want to work on as well. So I don't think it's something that's in the very near future, but I definitely think it's something that's in my future someday. Well, once the movie comes out, I don't think you have to worry about hiking it alone. Is that fair <laughs> to say? <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, who knows? That, that would be nice. <laughs> Maybe I'll find some hiking partners out of this, if nothing else. <laughs> there'll, there'll be so many people on the trail, you'll have plenty of company. Oh, right. Yeah, wild coming out. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah oh, people fear that, I think, a little bit. But, you know, I think um, after the sequester last year, it's really important to draw attention to our trails and, and to get more people interested in it because... It's going to help um, preserve them a little bit more if people actually care about them. I would agree. Make it much easier for fundraising, right? Right, yeah. Which is pretty much the only way these trails survive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're all, you know, nonprofit, and and they're, you know, those organizations are the reasons why we have the ability to 
to go into the wild for a few days. So, Corey, you're doing your part because you're getting the word out on the AT. I hope so. <laughs> so. So tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about your movie, learn more about you. I know I know you write on uh, Appalachian Trials, so help them understand where they can find you. Yeah. Um, if you go to hardwayhomefilm.com, that's where you can get more information on my film. Um and um, then Appalachian Trials, again, so I vlog on that. And I usually put out a video a month, um, sometimes more than that, depending on, on if I have time. Um, but also, <clears throat> um, launching soon, but not quite ready yet, <laughs> is my website, which is coreyfeener.com. So hopefully that will be up within the next month and people can see uh, the other films and projects that I'm up to. For those of you paying attention, it's Feener, not Fenner. <laughs> I just I just want to call that out. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Corey, it's been great to have you on the show tonight. And, uh, you know, I hope there is a Wolfpack reunion because I promise that I would be more than happy to show up and provide beverages. Oh, my God. I need to do a podcast from the reunion. It'll be like going to Coachella. <laughs> and, and I will organize the fire department to be nearby just in case anything happens. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. Except... <laughs> Where we did that, it was illegal. (laughs) I figured. Well, hey, thank you so much, Corey, and uh, good luck with your film. Thanks. It was great talking to you. Absolutely. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Into Backpacking Podcast. This is Bird Shooter wishing you the best for your travels on the trail. To subscribe to this podcast, visit Apple's iTunes store or download them directly at n2backpacking.com from the podcast tab on the secondary menu. Music from this podcast was provided by the John Zed Band. For more information on this Atlanta-based musician, visit his website at johnzed.com. That's johnzedd.com. Or search for his latest release through iTunes. This podcast is a production of N2 Backpacking and is copyrighted by N2 Ventures, Inc. For more information or to provide feedback or comments on this or future shows, please visit us at N2 Backpacking. That's the letter N, the number 2, backpacking.com.